Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Thank you, Noel. You know, for such a small congregation, we've had quite a few uh, mission trips. Uh, Panama, Russia, Miramar, Nairobi. Where else? That's quite a bit, I think, you know, for no bigger congregation than what we have. And, and may they continue. May they continue. China. Huh? China, oh, yeah, Corey to China. So, well, I almost feel out of place. It's been so long since I've been up here. You know, not sure exactly what to do, so, so bear with me. And uh, while you're bearing with me, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, beginning at verse 41 and let's stand for the reading of the word then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the opportunity to, to present your word to your people, Lord. And I pray for your anointing, for your help, your guidance, because without you, Lord, I can do nothing. I can say words, Lord, but I can say nothing that would make any difference in anybody's life for eternity apart from you and your spirit, Lord. We just ask you, Lord, to to be a part of this, to let your spirit flow freely, O God, from heart to heart, and let us receive your word with gladness as your early church did, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I have taught on this same subject uh, a number of times before. Uh, I'm not sure how many times here, but most of you haven't heard it, so I'm going to do it again. And besides, it's completely rewritten, so it's a little bit, maybe a little bit fresh to you. But it's a, a subject that is, you know, quite near and dear to my heart, and you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in study on. Um, and 
where our, our passage today picks up, you know, if you recall, and I'm sure most of you do, that this is uh, you know, shortly after Jesus' uh, ascension. He told his disciples just to you know, hang around in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And they were gathered together in the upper room, 120 of them, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And um, what a difference it makes when the Holy Spirit comes, isn't it? Because you know, just a few days before, this bunch of disciples who had been uh, in hiding, hiding from the officials, hiding for fear of their life, they had all scattered. You know, Jesus predicted they would. They all, you know, the the shepherd would would be taken away and the sheep would be scattered and they were all in hiding in fear of, of their lives and Peter who you know just a few days before was afraid to even acknowledge the Lord before a servant girl stands up and delivers the first sermon of the Christian church and 3,000 people are saved. Now, and of course, you know we're we're familiar with what was going on there. You know, it was a, the feast of Pentecost. Many many Jews from all over the world were in town, you know, for the feast and uh, and heard him. And Jews from from all over the known world at that time, you know, were were brought in to the church. And when they heard Jesus, sir, uh, when they heard Peter's sermon, you know their reaction was, and we're told in uh, the 37th verse of Acts 2. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" And 3,000 souls were saved. You know, there's 120 disciples in the upper room that day. Of course, that's not all the followers of Jesus that were in Jerusalem at that time because we know that just before his ascension, you know, he, he appeared to, to over 500 at one time. So there were, you know, quite a few followers of Jesus, you know, besides 120 in the upper room. <clears throat> but, you know, just think, adding 3,000 people to this early church at that time, you know, I'm not sure how many disciples there were in in Jerusalem but I have a feeling that you know the number may just have very well doubled you know with that one service at least doubled maybe even tripled or who knows who knows what so what do you do with so many new converts or maybe to put it more concisely what would 12 apostles who had just recently come out of hiding and who most of their time with Jesus got every question he asked them wrong, what would these guys do with so many new converts? Well, in our verses today, Luke uh, tells us you know, what they did. Now, <clears throat> what bringing things up more to current time, you know, I remember several years ago wondering about the way that we do church. Were we doing church right? Were we doing church the way that the Bible tells us to do? 
or had years of tradition and outside influences changed our method of corporate worship to where the early church, the early Christians wouldn't even recognize it. And so, you know, I got to, to studying this, and where better to find out than first go to the book of Acts. And then besides the book of Acts, I also read you know, the early church fathers. Now, there's not a lot of description of the early church service you know, from the writings of the church fathers. <clears throat> but there is some. And they shed a whole lot of light on, on uh, the way the church was. Because you think, you know, if you want to do something right, go back to the foundation. Go back to the way they did it at first and then they probably got it right. Well, in every aspect, that isn't necessarily so. Now, I'll, I'll talk about that more, more just in a minute. But it is good to go back and look and see what they did to start with. Somewhere around the year 150, you know, the church is very new, very young. Justin Martyr wrote his first apology. Now, you know, an apology is a defense for for something and he wrote his first apology as a defense for the faith and in it he he wrote concerning the the Christian corporate worship this is relatively short so I want to read it to you <clears throat> on the day called Sunday there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district the members oh, I'm sorry the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. The memoirs of the apostles here being the, the gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course then the writings of the prophets. Then when the reader ceases, the president in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. The president would be what we refer to today as the pastor. You know, instead of Pastor Bill, we would have President Bill. You know, as, you know, after the reading, the president then gives uh, a a sermon, if you will, telling the people to do the things that they heard the readers talk about. Now, then next we rise together and send up prayers. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented and wine and water. The president, in the same manner, sends up prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people sing out their assent, saying, Amen. A distribution and participation of the elements for which thanks have been given is made to each person, and to those who are not present they are sent by the deacons. Those who have means and are willing each according to his own choice, gives what he wills, and what is collected is deposited with the president. He provides for the orphans and widows, those who are in need on account of sickness or some other cause, those who are in bonds, strangers who are sojourning, and in a word, he becomes the protector of all who are in need. <clears throat> we all make our assembly in common on Sunday, since it is the first day on which God changed the darkness and matter and made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior arose from the dead on the same day. For they crucified him on the day before Saturn's day, and the day after, 
which is the day of the sun, he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught them these things which we have offered for your consideration. One of, one of the best outlines of what an early church was like. You know, in, in my study of the early church, I discovered that it is far more important to know what they did than how they did it. And in Acts uh, chapter 2 and through verses 42 through 47, we find that the church is engaged in four essential different activities. Now, I could have used other terms for these, but I like the terms that I chose, and I'll, I'll tell you why in just a minute, because, well, I have broken them into the acronym W-I-F-E, wife. Now, why wife? Well, I like that an acronym, because first of all, we, the church, are the bride of Christ, and referred to in Revelation 19, as his wife. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made himself, herself ready. But then there's another one I like too. This is Proverbs 18.22. It says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. <clears throat> Fifty-one years ago yesterday, I found a good thing. So... <laughs> Uh, but I, so you know, this makes it easy for re, for me to remember the the four important attributes that every church should be doing, and should be doing in balance, not leaving one thing out, not emphasizing one thing over the other, but doing all four of these activities. W for worship. I for instruction. F for fellowship and E for evangelism. And if we keep all four of these activities, if we do them not preferring one over the other, then we can be a strong, effective, and well-balanced church. <clears throat> Verse 42. Now, what I did in my Bible was... I put a little W or an I or an F or an E right beside each activity, you know, to mark what it was. I think at least half of you use electronic Bibles anymore. I don't know how you, how you do these things these days. But, uh, yeah, <clears throat> write it down or remember it or whatever. But anyway, uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the they, of course, is the church. Jesus' disciples, plus all the new converts that we were wondering what to do with a few minutes ago. And, you know, one of the first evidences, according to Alistair Begg, and I agree with him totally, of uh, the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life is a desire for God's word and a desire to know God's word. Now, instead of using the word instruction, I could have used the word doctrine. I could have used the word teaching. 
because they all mean the same thing. But then I'd have made a whole new for an acronym, and I didn't want to do that, so I used instruction. But you know, doctrine seems to be a, a, a dirty word these days, and I have heard so many times, you know, we need to stay away from doctrine because doctrine divides. Well, yeah, doctrine does, in a sense, divide. It divides God's people, you know, from those who are not God's people. It divides those who are really His from those who only want to claim Him in, in name only and not live for Him. You know, the Apostle Paul told Timothy uh, in his second letter, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Instruction is a vital, vital activity of a healthy church. And without sound teaching, a church cannot long survive and certainly cannot be effective in working for the kingdom of God. But, you know, some churches tend to overemphasize the teaching to the detriment of the other three activities. You know, such churches run the risk of becoming far more cerebral than spiritual and thus lose their effect. You know, the second thing we see going on here is fellowship. So they were, you know, steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Now, if there's anything that we here at Calvary Chapel have down pat, it is the fellowship part. I mean, we 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 excel at that, you know. And I'm glad. Yeah, I'm really glad. We, but we don't overdo it, I don't think, because we still emphasize the teaching of the Word as appropriate. We emphasize the you know, evangelism as appropriate. We emphasize worship. You know, we love to worship. So, but you know, uh, Jesus is all about fellowship. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> and Jesus likes nothing better than the fellowship with his people. Because we were created for fellowship. We were created for to worship God. We were created to fellowship with him. I was just thinking about uh, a song from back in the 1970s, uh, uh, Jesus music song, written by one of my favorite authors and uh, songwriters, singers. I got to meet him one time, talked with him. It was a great joy of mine. A fellow named John Fisher wrote a song called Johnny's Cafe. And the premise of the song is that, you know, here's this church. You know, it beautiful architecture. You know, all the trappings of a of a, a church. You know, it looks like a church. Seems to function like a church. Everybody knows it's a church. The people come in. The people hardly speak to each other. They go do their their thing. They go home, 
you know, there's little, almost no fellowship. Next door to the church is Johnny's Cafe, where most of the patrons know each other. They enjoy each other's company. They have a good time of fellowship, sitting around drinking coffee and talking. It says, but you know, the song ends by saying, you know, if Jesus was here today, was here today, you know, I really think we'd find him at Johnny's Cafe because that's where the fellowship is. And Jesus is all about fellowship. Why? Because he loves us. You know, if you love somebody, you want to spend time with them, don't you? The more you love them, the more you want to spend time with them. Now, you know, the way it works, though, being a, a Christian, if uh, we love the Lord, we have to love his people. If we want to fellowship with the Lord, we have to want to fellowship with his people. Now, now, I remember reading a quote from Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi one time, who said, I love your Christ, but I just don't like your Christians. You know, we can't say that. We can't get by with that. Because, you know, as the Apostle John said in 1 John, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So there, you got to love me, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and like I say, you know, here at Calvary Chapel, I think, you know, I don't need to harp on the fellowship part because we have it down pretty good. But I think it is because we love the Lord that we love one another. And, you know, our love for the Lord makes our love for one another all the more real. And our love for one another makes our love for the Lord all the more real. Now, you know, there are some churches who want to overemphasize, though, the fellowship part of it. I mean, you will be greeted warmly when you come in the door. They'll shake your hand off, you know, and talk your ear off and invite you to every small group that they have and you will be uh, uh, affirmed and lifted up and you know just made to feel great about yourself but you know there's no instruction in God's word it's almost like a social club there's no and you know great bunch of guys great bunch of people you know they love to talk they love to eat they love to do all the fellowship stuff but when it comes to teaching God's word you know it's absent when it comes to worship it's absent and of course in that evangelism also would be absent but now you know in in this verse uh, I have also included worship uh, with the breaking of bread breaking of bread is fellowship and worship and the reason I put in worship is because the breaking of bread in the early church was the communion meal. It was the Lord's Supper, which they celebrated every Sunday when they came together. Now, <clears throat> some churches still do this today. They have communion every Sunday. Others, every time they come together. We at Calvary Chapel, the first Sunday of every month. 
Yeah. Is it right? I guess. You know, I was listening one time not, not very long ago to uh, a question and answer session with several prominent theologians, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, and somebody else. But one of the questions somebody asked is, how often should a church observe communion? They all said, we don't know. I don't know that there is a right answer to it. The only, the only right answer is we should do it. We should do it, and we should do it regularly. But, you know, and it's not, here again, you know, the what we do is important more than the how we do it. It is important that we do it. And, of course, you know, prayer, they continued in, in prayer. Prayer is definitely a form of worship as the two go hand in hand. And, you know, concerning prayer here in verse 42, James Montgomery Boyce says, you know, in the Greek, the definite article occurs before the word prayer. The text actually says, to the prayers. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, which obviously is a reference to something formal that, and by, by formal I don't mean <coughs> stiff and, and un, unpersonal, I mean it was something that was planned, something for the whole congregation to, to be involved in, and the whole congregation was involved in the prayers. Uh, <clears throat> I read somewhere recently that worship is the first act of, of a new church and in hard times, the last program to be cut. And when it is cut, the congregation passes away. And just as we were made for fellowship, we were also made for worship. When we worship, we commune with God. And in communing, in communing with God is prayer. You know, Jesus, uh, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, said, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We were created to worship. The desire to worship is still innate within us, howbeit in a fallen manner. So we we have an innate desire to worship. Unfortunately, fallen man's main object of worship is himself. And there are many churches today that really overemphasize the worship part of it to the detriment of instruction and fellowship and evangelism. Such churches run the risk of being more charismaniac, I suppose, you know, where people are seeking after you know, experiences and neglect the setting at Jesus' feet and listening you know, to his teaching. <coughs> Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. In this verse, of course, we find evangelism. The wonders and signs were done to draw the non-believers in, to serve as a witness to the fact that this Jesus is who he said he was. And of course, evangelism is as important to the church as anything else. One of the last instructions, direct instructions, Jesus gave the church before his ascension was, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So evangelism is a direct command of Jesus. And I believe that's why he left us here. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to spread the word, the good news. And when I say preaching, I don't mean standing behind a pulpit. I mean when when you tell your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, complete strangers, anybody, about your faith in Jesus, you know, you are proclaiming his word and you are doing the work of an evangelist. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 44. Now all who believe were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And of course, togetherness is fellowship. But you know, togetherness doesn't necessarily mean physical togetherness all the time. You guys wouldn't want to hang around with me all the time. I wouldn't want to hang around with you all the time either. You know, I require some alone time. But, you know, and, and we're not talking about, you know, the early church uh, did like, uh, you know, sold all their houses, sold everything they had, moved into this one community, this big one big commune, you know, where everybody owned everything and nobody owned anything. And, you know, they just had all, all things together, you know, in a, hippie-style environment, you know, like a lot of the Jesus people did back in, in the, the early, uh, or late late 60s, early 70s, you know, in, in the beginning of the Jesus movement. You know, it doesn't say that they sold everything. You know, they kept their houses because we see in the next verse, you know, they went from house to house. You know, and selling everything you had and giving it to the poor sounds good. But what happens when you do that? You create another needy person that the church has to take care of yourself. I think it is saying that, you know, they sold their excess. They didn't keep things that they didn't need. They sold their excess and gave it to those who, who who had need of it. And this is a function of the church still today. You know, we take care of one another. We watch out for one another. If anybody in here has need, if you continue with that need, it's simply because you haven't let anybody else know. Verse 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple 
and the breaking of bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, you know, they didn't have a church building to go to. They, they, these were Jews. The early church was composed almost entirely of Jews. Their religious life had centered around the temple. And so naturally, that's where they went, you know, to, together, together. They gathered together in one accord, you know, for the same purpose, the purpose of receiving the instruction, the purpose of fellowship, being together, the purpose of evangelism to let other people know about the good news of God. <clears throat> but they didn't just hang around the temple all the time. You know, they went from house to house, breaking bread. This is fellowship. Now, you know, according to, to Justin Martyr's writing, the only um, time they observed the Lord's Supper was on Sunday. The rest of the time, you know, was was a maybe a common meal. You know, we're we're having supper at our house today, you know, or something. You know, everybody come over there. Then, you know, next, you know, the next day we'll go to Blaine and Lisa's, you know, and so forth. But, you know, it was just a a way of being together. There is nothing, I think, that brings people closer together in fellowship than the breaking of bread together. It just it just makes a bond between people, and and they ate their food with with gladness, you know. And if when we do anything with gladness and thanksgiving to the Lord, we are engaging in worship and simplicity of heart. And praising God here again is worship, and having favor with the people. That is evangelism. If the people don't like us, they're not very likely to hear what we have to say, are they? They're not very likely to want to know about our Jesus if we're obnoxious people. But you know, these, the early church found favor with the people. We too should find favor with the people. In other words, we should live our lives and conduct ourselves publicly in such a manner that you know, people want to know what makes us different. People want to know why we are like we are, and we want to be like us. You know, I've heard so many times from from people who work in restaurants that Sunday after church is the worst time for them because the church people who I, I, won't, I didn't say Christians, I said the church people who come in are the rudest bunch to come in all week, and also the worst tippers. Pastor Bill is a great tipper on Sunday after church because you know, he doesn't want that stigma. And that's the way we should all be. We should do everything we can to avoid any type of negative stigma if we're going to find favor with the people. And then, of course, the Lord added daily to the church those who were, were being saved. And so the growth of the church didn't stop at that 3,000. In fact, it continues today. And so the question persists, what do we do 
with so many new converts. You know, right after Peter's sermon, the Jews you know, said to him and the other apostles, men and brethren, what are we to do? I can kind of imagine Peter, you know, after these 3,000, you know, gave their hearts to the Lord, looking at you know, the rest of the apostles and saying, men and brethren, what are we to do? What are we going to do with all these people? And that's a good question. You'd think we would have it down pat, but you know, I don't know whether we do or not. But you know, there's two things that I've learned from my study of the early church. The first is that older doesn't always mean better. You know, when I found out some of the practices of the early church, they did some really wacky stuff. You know, <clears throat> they baptized for the dead. They held services in cemeteries. They, you know, after not many years, um, sometimes would would make a new convert wait up to three years before they would baptize him. Because he had to have all this instruction, you know, to make sure that, you know, he really knew what he was getting into. You know, these things are, are, are not necessarily biblical. So older doesn't necessarily <coughs> add up to better. And the second thing that I learned is, and I think the most important thing, it's the Lord's church, and he will take care of it. I saw a poster the other day that said, if you think you've messed up so badly that God can't use you, well, you don't have that much power. And I think the same thing applies to the church. No matter how much we try to mess it up, yeah, we don't have that much power. It's his church. He is going to take care of it. And try as we might, you know, we can't. He said, you know, this is my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. <clears throat> that church is us, you know. And as I look at our congregation and I think about us, you know, <clears throat> and according to these verses in Acts, you know, I think we're doing pretty good. I'm proud of you. you know. We have a good leader. You know, we have a good congregation. But it still behooves all of us, you know, to make sure that we not only as a congregation, but we as individuals, you know, engage in these things, you know, that we do the worship. We don't leave worship out of our life. We don't leave instruction or teaching or doctrine out of our life. We don't leave fellowship out. We don't neglect the meeting together. And that don't mean just mean come in here in the yeah, you know, sing the songs, hear the message, and run out the door. Fellowship involves friendship, interaction. And <clears throat> this is fellowship in the Lord. You know. It's fine for two Christians to come together and, you know, talk about you know, the ball game Friday night. But that isn't Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is when we involve the Lord in our fellowship and in our conversation and then of course we uh, we should not as individuals neglect the evangelism area of our life either we need to always be ready willing and able at every opportunity the Lord gives us to share our faith
pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us, not only of your spirit, not only of yourself, but of each other. And Lord, may we always remain truly grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.